My legs are tangling off the edge The bottom of the bottle is my only friend I think I'll slip my wrist again And I'm gone, 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 gone Cool. Do you care if I vape in here? No. It doesn't create any smell or anything. Yeah. I quit cool. smoking, so I'm like dying. Oh, a really? Month, a month now. After 15 years. Wow. Yeah, well, I went to the dog. My throat kept messing up on the road. Like, I kept losing my voice. Uh-huh. He said, you got to pick singing or smoking. And I had to make the choice. But it's been so, like, I'm like... Yeah. Very Dude, it's like, makes you really moody and shit. And I hate it. But I'll live a lot longer, most likely. <laughs> And then what they, these come in like increments with nicotine. So like they go up to like 24 milligrams and then they go down to two. So they're built, like I started at 24, this is 18. You can like bring it down and you don't really notice the gradual decrease. And then when you're down at two and you stop doing this, the level of nicotine you're not getting is so minor compared to what you started at that your body has no reaction. It's just like, okay, so you can kind of drift off of it as opposed to cigarettes, which... You know, or carcinogens, and then this is just water-based, so it doesn't do shit. Wow. Interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to promote the companies that, that you know, got that vape yeah. pen for? That was a pretty good promo for them. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, wow, that's a nice little intro for our... No problem. Kangertech and I'm, and is the like, name of the company. Ah, Kangertech. This episode brought to you by Kangertech, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. They better pay um, me. I'm glad that, like, right when we started, you were just like, I'm much moody. You're like, I'm really moody. I'm in a bad fucking mood right now, bro. Don't <laughs> ask me any questions. Huh? Awesome. So psyched to talk to you. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, uh, welcome, everyone. So it's uh, July 11th, 2015, and I'm sitting here with George Regan mm-hmm. of Hollywood Undead, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Johnny Three Tears. Correct. Correct. Um, and so we met because you are involved in Highway to Havasu. Yeah. Which is... Uh, very nice of you to, to join in on the project and kind of, you're donating music, which is awesome, which we really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was more with the label and stuff like that, but, you what, know. What do you mean? Well, they own the music. Right. I don't own anything. So I had to go to them, but they're being friendly about it. Right, right. But yeah. that wouldn't happen. Actually, they're right down the street. Yeah, I know. Interscope, right? Yeah. Those awesome. bastards. <laughs> oh, no. Those nah, bastards. Yeah. They're all bastards. They're all bastards. Mm-hmm. You just get a phone call. They're just like, "All right, George, we're done." No, dude, it's a very open hated hate, hatred between record labels and bands. I don't think anybody likes either party really? between them. Well, yeah, I mean, um, labels take money from bands that bands create, but they can't create it without the label. So it's this, you know, it's no one who is making money off somebody else or vice versa is going to like the other party usually. Huh. So most relationships between bands and labels are very contentious. That's from sad. my experience. That's really sad. Well, it's been going on forever. I mean, you look at like uh, just, you know, the contracts and stuff that bands are given and stuff. And like, it's kind of like one of those situations where in order to get somewhere, you have to sign them. Once you get there, there's such a, a ripoff that you're pissed that you sign them, but you sign them. But, you know, most people who sign record contracts, you know, we were like 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Um and I'd never had any money or anything. And so they throw money at you and you're like, okay, I'll sign whatever you want. And then you kind of figure out how stupid that was a few years later when you're not making any, but you're generating a money. So, they, you know, they're not, Interscope's not bad. They're actually one of the better labels out there. But our old label, AM Octone, they were terrible. And, you know, they're actually, they went out of business recently. Once Maroon 5, they moved to Interscope and then we did. I think that was it for them. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. We'll get into that a little later. So... You're also, not only did, uh, are we using the music of Hollywood mm-hmm. Undead, but you're also acting in it. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, you've acted before, right? In a couple yeah, of things but and... before the band, that was like my main focus. But um, it was kind of for me, like I like doing both. But music, oh, I'm probably, you know, that, that was just kind of what worked out uh -huh. first. So both of them require all your time. And so when I started doing music, you know, I'm on the road nine, eight, nine months of the year touring. Yeah. It became an afterthought because it's just not really a possibility. So all my focus went on that. But when Jeff started making the movie, it was an opportunity where he would help. He would, he, my schedule would be fit in as opposed to, cause mm -hmm. I can never do anything Yeah. because, um, you know, I'm gone all the time. So if you tell someone that, oh, I can't do it until like two months from now, they're like, well, fuck off because <laughs> someone else can do it right then. So Jeff catered to it. And made it easier for me so when i was off tour i could do it so it was fun man i hadn't done anything like it in a while and you know it was a great experience it was a lot of fun yeah. and then jeff's one of my best buddies so doing something like that with someone that you're close to in that way with it yeah it was a cool experience that's cool and yeah. so you play jonathan and ronathan mm -hmm. the uh the two characters that you'd think are brothers but they're not yeah i don't think there's any relation <laughs> <laughs> no jonathan and ronathan no i know no way but um how, how, like, did Jeff approach you and say, hey, I want you to play these parts, or... Um... Yeah, he hit me up one day and said, hey, we, you know, I'm thinking of doing this movie, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a lot of people have said that kind of stuff to me. I have a lot of friends and stuff, and I've never taken it seriously, but when Jeff did... Because Jeff's such, like, a driven... You know, once he gets his mindset, I actually knew he was probably going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I was more interested than I typically would have been. Um, and then he told me about the characters, and I said, sure, you know, let me know when the script's done. And he sent me the script, and then you know, the Ronathan was a lot different than the way I kind of interpreted it. And so I kind of asked him if I could kind of do what I wanted with the guy. And he said, yeah, that's all right. So then I became interested and I started, you know, going at it with him. And, um, you know, the whole part, the whole reading and I was doing from Europe on like FaceTime with him. <laughs> so it was kind of a pain in the ass and we were calling each other here and there. And then I got back and I was out there a few days later, but, uh, it was a lot of fun. It worked out, I think. So he says it, it, it I did all right, so we'll see. Yeah, well, I've seen the footage, and it looks pretty awesome. It's good. Yeah. I think we're doing, like, a viewing of it, or this is what he's saying, in, like, the beginning of August, so huh. I'm very curious to see it. Yeah. Who who do you like more, though, to play, Jonathan or Ronathan? Jonathan, just because he's more of a hard-nosed kind of guy. Sure. What was interesting is when we were doing the read-through, you, you were even saying, you were like, or not the read-through, but, like, the rehearsal. Yeah. You were even saying, like, you were like, Jonathan, I got. I got Jonathan. Yeah. Well, he's much more similar to myself. So, you know, not that I'm a mean tow truck driver, but... <laughs> You're not an unsavory tow truck driver? No, no. I wish. That's what I've always wanted to be. That was my aspiration. But I have too many DUIs to drive a tow truck. No. Um, that was what... So I got him right away. Ronathan was, you know, much more open to interpretation because his dialogue was written in this, like, southern drawl. And it was like, hey, what is this dude? And then... You know, I thought he was, like, gay when I first read it. So I was like, he, you know, and Jeff didn't think that at all. But I was like, you know, the interpretation was so different. And, you know, Jeff was kind of, we were are kind of going back and forth on what he was. And eventually I was like, well, this is what I think. And he's like, all right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, how, and how did you like the experience of, of working with us? I'm curious. Uh, I was, you know, I was very happy with that because... You know, casting something is difficult, and um, especially a movie. I mean, it'd be one thing to do something, a smaller project, but to get everybody right, and especially the three main dudes, um, including yourself, obviously, I was very happy with your abilities because, you know, you never know when you're working with someone like that what you're going to get back and stuff, but it made it a lot of fun, and it was like, you know, it was instantaneous. It didn't take a lot, and it was, uh, 
I think you guys are all so talented and good at what you do that it made what I had to do. I mean, it was easy, you know. I had like six lines, so <laughs> it wasn't that hard. But you guys did really good, man. Ah, thank you, man. Yeah, appreciate it. I mean it. I wouldn't lie. Nice, good to know. Even though you're off the cigarettes, you yeah, you no, don't find cig- yourself suddenly lying. Well, about I do, it. I do a little bit. <laughs> like, you know, people. I'm going somewhere. I'm like, I'm going to the store. I'm just going somewhere. Oh, I don't know. I just <laughs> turned into a liar. No, you guys were great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> turned into a liar. Now you mm-hmm. guys are great. Uh, cool. Well, let's. Back up a bit. Okay. I, I, I'd love to kind of track how you got to where you are today, you know. Um, and so where where are you from originally? I don't even know. I'm from Los Angeles, from Hollywood. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, East Hollywood. Native. Yeah, I was born and raised, man. Where'd you go to high school? John Marshall, which yeah. is um, right by like the Hyperion Bridge, if you're familiar with like huh. the LA area uh, or uh, what would that... Yeah, I mean, it's just LA. It's where... Uh, what, what can I say that anybody would know? Um, you know, it's about a mile east of the heart of Hollywood. Right. Okay. So there's Hollywood High for the west side, and the east side of Hollywood goes to John Marshall High. Cool. And is that a rivalry? West side, east side? Hollywood. No, you know, like, maybe between, like, the gangs, but, like, there's no, like, <laughs> growing up there, there's no, like, football teams going against one another, you know, the movie oh. stuff. It's more... Uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody went to school at either one of those schools cared at all where they went to school. I think most of them drop out gotcha. about halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So you, you grew up there and uh-huh. in high school, um, I mean, what was going on? I love talking about high school cause it's such a, it's such a weird time where we kind of very, like, t- very weird time. This is like we kind of become who we are, but not right. So what, what were you doing in high school? Were you, I actually got, you know, I started getting into a lot of trouble in high school, to be honest with you. I was, you know... It, Tony, like, too, so... Yeah, cool. oh, yeah. Tony <laughs> and I are from the same, you know, same vein. But, um, you know, the first two years I was going to John Marshall, I started getting in a lot of trouble. And my dad lived in Burbank. So I got sent to Burbank High School, even though I still lived in L.A. But, you know, but I started, you know, doing things I shouldn't do. And I actually ended up going to Juvenile Hall for about a year. For my whole junior year, I was in juvie. <laughs> Well, no. <laughs> and then I got out and went to my senior year at Burbank and graduated. So it was kind of weird because everybody's like, what happened to you? I was like, oh. Juvie. Yeah, juvie, yeah. So I started, you know, I got into a lot of trouble when I was young. I was a hellraiser. Um, and so I, you know, I actually was well into my, you know, I'd say till about, my, you know, 22, 23 is kind of when I was like, all right, I got to cool it. And that's when, you know, Hollywood Undead was doing their thing. So luckily I was fortunate to get something to take my mind off. Uh, causing trouble. Uh-huh. So, were you doing music though at the time in high school? Like, you know, oh yeah, I was always playing. I was always writing. At that point, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what to do with it because um, there's not a lot of opportunities for a kid like you know in that situation. And uh, I had to find. I kind of started gravitating towards other people who were interested in it as opposed to doing, you know, because I was like, you know, doing whatever the hell I wanted. And then I started finding other people like music and two guys that I grew up with um, that went to like all the way from preschool had started playing guitar and one started playing bass. So we were like, oh, let's start a band. We go to our room and one would, you know, we didn't even have a mic yet and we just play and we didn't have amps or anything, but they had a guitar and a bass. So that was kind of how we started writing music when we were really young. Um, And once we started getting better at it, we started taking it more seriously and, you know, saved up money and got some equipment. We got a lockout on Hollywood Boulevard so we could rehearse um, and started our first band that way. 
And then that band kind of shifted from, it was a band called Three Tears. And we used to play it like, you know, this is still high school age stuff. We were playing like the whiskey and stuff like that. Um, and that kind of started shifting what eventually turned into Hollywood Undead. Because at first we were a straight up rock band, but we all grew up on, you know, hip hop stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was a huge fan of the Wu-Tang Clan. They're like my, my thing at that moment. And some West Coast rap. So we really wanted to incorporate um, some of that Beastie Boys type style. So we were like, okay, well, we need more people. And we wanted to involve, you know, and actually, I mean, I would say more industrial type synth hip hop, like more Nine Inch Nails mm -hmm. and stuff like that, as opposed to just rap. But we want to incorporate all these things and make the music more eclectic. Because, um, you know, the truth is there's so many bands that were doing what we were trying to do that it became disinteresting to me, I guess, creatively. I was like, well, you can write, no matter how good the song is, there's a million more like them. So we wanted to do something original and different. And that's where, how Hollywood Undead came about. I actually think if we kept doing it the other way, we probably would have never had the success that we did, but we did something that, you know, got people's attention or, you know, it doesn't sound like anybody else. And so, you know, that's kind of part of the reason I think we've had the success that we've had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned Wu-Tang Clan. My favorite question to ask is is if, if you, in your mind, just go back in time and you look in your CD player, what CD is in there? Uh-huh. Was it Wu-Tang? Oh, all the 36 Chambers. <laughs> I used to get go to downtown LA. They have a garment district down there where they sell, like, knockoff clothes. Yeah. <laughs> and they had all this Wu-Tang, Wu-Wear is what they called it. It was the big W. <laughs> and I had beanies with the W on it. And, like, I was way into it. Like, you know, Wu-Tang is more philosophy than a musical group. Because I, you know... Especially for that genre, I thought they were very wise, you know, and beyond their ear, and they were clever, and their production was so, uh, so basic and so stripped down, but still had such quality to it. And I loved, you know, because a lot of these big rap groups, you know, they spend so much money to get their sound to beef it up and to make it what it is, and you know, you could just totally tell these guys were working with nothing but making something awesome and special out of it. And I just had like an immediate respect for it. And that was kind of how Hollywood and Dead started was in, you know, a bedroom. That's how we were recording songs. Yeah, with a guitar um, and a bass. Yeah, guitar, bass, keyboard. We were doing vocals with, you know, the wardrobe things around us, like that you get at like Bed Bath & Beyond. We put a soundboarding on them and we're recording <laughs> all this stuff. The first eight songs we wrote were out of a bedroom. And then we got signed, and then they, you know, we went into like a normal studio and stuff. But some of that original stuff we did in a bedroom, I still look back at. And granted, it may not sound as quote-unquote good, but it, it certainly has that 36 Chambers quality where um, it's almost like you can hear a necessity out of it. You know, we were doing it because we had to do it as opposed to like, you know, then you're in a studio with like catering and it's two grand a day and we had like big screen TVs and PlayStations. It actually makes you a lot lazier when you're writing music because they got runners to get you food and we could do whatever the hell we wanted. Hey, we want, you know, a gazillion beers. Here you go. So it was a lot of fun, but... When you're writing music because you just want to and there's no financial gain or anything else, I still look at those days fondly. Because now it's about writing a single uh -huh. is always on your mind. Um, getting the label interested because the more they're interested, the more they're going to put into promotion of the record. All these business aspects of what come into the music later on, um, I don't think we let it corrupt us, but it's certainly something I have to think about now when we write a record. As opposed to then, it was just strictly kids who wanted to get their viewpoint across um, and there was no money or anything else to be had from it but it was that much more important in the same sense you know yeah um, so there's just a little gap that I want to fill in which is you're writing music in your bedroom just for 
just for the fuck of it, yeah. just because you want to. Um, and then you all of a sudden get signed. How how did did Interscope just one day? Was it Interscope? Did they sign you right away? Or? At first, okay. The way it all happened, it, it was so rapid. I'm telling you, we were in bands for years, and not no one got. And then we started Hollywood and Dead, and was within six months we were signed to a major label. Now this all went down like we started putting out the music, and we got such a buzz going that every major made a pitch at the band. So originally we were actually going to sign with Atlantic. We in the day of us going to Atlantic to sign it, literally that morning, Interscope called and said we'll double the signing bonus. So yeah, it went from like, you know, $300,000 to $600,000. And we're like, well, we can't turn that down. Um, and so that was that same morning and they had to call Atlantic and they had like a whole lunch thing party ready. Cause we're, it was our <laughs> signing and they called them and said, they're not signing with you guys unless you want to match this offer. Like we can't match that offer because Interscope, I think at the time, you know, was more successful. I don't know. But so we ended up going down and signing with Interscope <clears throat> and it's very odd, you know, to, um, on a, in a personal, from a personal sense, you go from having absolutely nothing to having like what I considered like a shit ton of money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I got this big share of that and all of a sudden you're recording in your bedroom. And like I said, now you're at NRG in North Hollywood, which is like where every huge band that I know of is recorded. Um, and you know, you're, you're spending two grand a day on a studio. You don't really think about the after effect. I was just on a different you know, I was on cloud nine. One of the coolest things about getting signed is my girlfriend had left me right before Hollywood Undead started. So I, and I was all bummed out. I was very upset about this yeah, whole event. Of course. And at the time I wasn't doing anything. That was probably the re, you know, or whatever. It just didn't work out. And within six months I'm like loaded and I'm in this big band. She's like, what happened? You know? And I was like, fuck you bitch. <laughs> um, but it was the revenge aspect of that was always very gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. That was the only reason I liked getting signed was to get back at this girl. Yeah. You are, you, are you a Springsteen fan? Of course. Yeah. I, I think it was in the documentary, Springsteen and I. Uh, Have you seen that? Uh-uh, I haven't. It's so incredible. It's good? And, and, yeah, it's it's all, like, fan-submitted videos of what his music means to them and everything. Okay. It's cut together with concert footage. It's okay. un unbelievable. I'll check that out. Definitely. But uh, he brings up someone on stage or something, like, who was holding up a sign at a show that said, my girlfriend just dumped me. Uh-huh. And, and he brings him up on stage, and he talks to him, and he's just like, man... I've had many girls dump me, but look who's laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like that Dave Chappelle skit, too, the I'm rich bitch stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he pretends he's going to get back with his ex and all this shit. And she's all stoked because he's no huge and famous. And then he's like, I'm a fucking rich bitch and brings out his actual wife and kid. And, you know, uh, I get that. I mean, it was never really that bad with her. Yeah. But um, there's certain, you know, there's certainly a joy. And I think anybody who's doubted for a long time and getting to where they want. But, um, so rubbing it in someone's face is probably not the best thing to do, but you can't help but get some small joy out of yeah. the whole event. Yeah, totally. Well, you kind of, it's some like where you were investing your kind of self-esteem self -esteem in another person, and then that's just gone. Yeah, and you know, and, now that I'm old, you know, I would never invest my self-esteem in another person. I'm, mm -hmm. But when you're a kid, you don't know any better, and uh, you know, it was the first time I got my quote unquote heartbroken. Mm -hmm. It's happened many times since. Yeah. Now I don't think it could get put back together. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. But you know, that at that time it was like you know, that first time is like life altering. You think you're dead, basically. Yeah. And so to have all these things happen, um uh right after that, at least I got some redemption. Totally. You know what but I mean? But it was also just for you and what you were doing, you know? Oh yeah, well it, it made like... me at least have a you know 
instead of wallowing, I was like all of a sudden doing all these cool things and stuff like that. So it certainly helped. I actually still wanted to be with a girl. So this, to her credit, even after this, she still said no. <laughs> so at least I knew she wasn't in it for something else. She was still not interested. Uh-huh. So that was kind of rough, but um, yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So how how old were you at this time that you guys got signed? It, was it? After I think I was twenty. It was twenty. So did, you didn't go to college, obviously. I, I did a couple of semesters at Glendale Community College. Okay. Um, but that was actually out of only recreation. I never had any intention of actually going to college. I gotcha. Yeah. But so you were doing, you were playing with Hollywood Undead, and you guys were playing these, you know, with the whiskey and... Yeah, Roxy whiskey, and, Roxy, all the Sunset Clubs. And you're and, getting your buzz going. Yeah, we which, played a lot of parties, a lot of house oh yeah. parties. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun those days. Um, And yeah, just stuff like that. And then, you know, the internet obviously helps with music now because yeah. um, you have this avenue to get to people without a record in a store or anything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, and yeah, just uh, doing our thing. And then um, I think a lot of the hype was partly because we we're, you know, a lot of band, a lot of people moved to L.A. to do something like this. I think a big part of the buzz was we were from there yeah, and we'd local. always been there. And it was like, you know, I think people like that aspect of it. Um it wasn't a group of dudes who moved from Indiana and started a band. And I think there was some mystique to it or whatever. We were street kids, you know, none of us had anything. So I think people enjoyed that aspect of it and there was honesty to it and everything like that. And, um, you know, I think people can interpret whether someone means something or not. And I think there was meaning behind it and it connected Yeah. for whatever reason. I've done a lot of music that didn't connect at all. I don't know why, but Hollywood Undead did. Hmm. So where did, where did the, the masks come in and the pseudonyms? The masks were um, really a part of just creating like a visual aspect to the band. We were like, you know, a lot of us are into like graffiti and, you know, street art and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And there's something very graphic about them in this, this sense when you look at them uh, that we had interest in. And we want, you know, every band kind of, you know, they stare at the camera and they look pissed off and, you know, <laughs> they got tattoos and this whole thing to it that we were, you know, that's not kind of how we want to represent ourselves. And, I think one of the main things is it definitely takes down the void between like a band and an audience because if you're you don't have this identity per se they can also like you know our shows you got tons of kids with these things on and it kind of takes down the divide in as far as the audience and the performer it kind of makes you know you can become the show with the whole group and um i always enjoyed that aspect of it of it a lot you know and uh, people can identify with it yeah, so you so you almost become you you strip away your you're not a person performing the, the right. It's an identity or yeah. whatever, and I don't want to get over dramatic about it or make it seem like we're doing something that is unbelievable. I mean, if you look at it outside of a musical perspective, masks have been used in performance for like thousands of years. There's yeah. something there's okay. something there that you know when I look at a guy on mask, you know, on stage, there's something creepy about it. The Phantom and the Opera, you know, there's something like what the hell's going on. Or, I don't know, it, it creates something. And, uh, you know, I think we wanted to, that mystique or the interest that it creates was something that I was very into myself as a someone who views these things. So we wanted to create the same effect as someone who used them. Yeah, nice. And and I assume the, uh, the, the fake names is another part of that or another aspect. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the names that were actually, a lot of them we had like uh, before the band. We just called. They were your nicknames. Like, yeah, like um, three tears came from my first band. Right. 
Um, so a lot of it was more just like incorporating what we, and then, you know, I guess just a group of friends calling each other by the wrong name. Cause that's just what happens when you, uh -huh. get, you know, you get drunk enough with somebody. I don't know. <laughs> so that kind of just came from there, but it certainly suited our purpose, yeah. you know, as far as becoming someone else when you're on stage or doing what you're doing. Um, so just kind of, it, it was part and parcel, yeah. certainly. Cool. So you guys, you sign with Interscope and you, you blow up, you know, and, and I mean, you, you sold 2 million records in the U.S. Four. Four million now? Yeah. Wikipedia needs to be updated, dude. Yeah, dude. What's up with that? <laughs> so Wait, four, no, that might be total. I don't know. Okay. Well, so it's, Wikipedia says 2 million uh, in the U.S., 3 million worldwide. Okay, that might be right. I might be exaggerating. So I've been, I quit smoking, so it's making me <laughs> exaggerate. You did say you're a liar. <laughs> yeah, and I'm lying now. No, uh, that might be correct. I don't know. Yeah. I but, thought it was four. But though. that's, that's awesome. Yeah, like, it's a lot of, so for this day bands. and age, I mean, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, You know, record sales, I think, are about 15, 20% of what they were even five years ago because yeah. of file sharing and stuff. So to be able to sell any records now is difficult. Because right. everybody can get them for free. So obviously we'll never sell as many records as we did in like 2008 because it's just more and more available. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad we did what we did. You know, you can't take record sales as a representative of popularity because you have no idea. You know, right, totally. kids go on YouTube, all this other stuff. So it's annoying because you don't have this uh, yardstick for what's happening yeah. um, outside of like playing live and stuff like that. Because you so, you just never know. We've gone to markets where our CD has never come out and sold out a 5,000-seater show because of the internet. Right. So you can hate it for one reason, financially, let's say, and then you can go there and be like, whoa, this is it blows your mind. Like we went and played Moscow for the first time to like 6,000 people. They don't have records there. It's all black market stuff. So yeah. for, to go to a place where your CD has never come out, that shows you the power of um, these online entities and you know things like that. So that was yeah. a trip, man. Yeah, so so you start touring though, with and and you're playing your music for people who know it and sing it back at you. I mean, what's that like to have someone sing your lyrics at you? Well, it's you know really I mean? funny when it's in like a dialect in Russia. <laughs> uh, we have this part on a song called "Bullet" where uh, we have the crowd sing back at the end of the song because all the music gets stripped and it's this end of the song "Bullet." And we hold the mic out, and it's so awesome in different countries because it's like, I wish that I could fly. Now, you know, you get this like French kid, like, I wish that I could fly. You know, he <laughs> just passes the mic from person to person, and I get a kick out of it every time. But, you know, it, it's awesome, man. I mean, that's where the communication aspect of music comes in. I mean, because anybody who starts writing music is d doing it for like a purpose, they have something to say that they want to get across. And so when you realize that it has gotten across and these people understand what you're saying and feel it in the same way you do outside of everything else about doing music, that's why you started. That really is because yeah. no one thinks they're going to, oh, I'm going to get rich doing this right. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, you, you're doing it because you won't have something to say. And to know that someone listened is by far the most rewarding aspect of doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, you know, I mean, we may never be as big as, you know, the the Beatles are one of these massive entities or these bands, but um, at the same time, some kid, you know, 6,000 miles away uh, had, you know, we helped him through his life or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Um, you mentioned while we were filming something really interesting, which I brought up with Tony and got his take, but obviously I want your take too. Sure. You said that when you, your life as a musician on the road, your entire, each day, is built around an hour and a half. 
And oh, so, yeah. So the, rest, so the rest of the day is just spent stressing and building up to this hour and a half right. on stage. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I quit drinking about a year ago. Not quit drinking. I'll drink at home and stuff here and there, but I quit drinking on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, I had no problem filling that time because I was drunk or, you know, doing whatever. And... That made it a lot easier. So, you know, you'd wake up and we'd make a, you'd make a drink and you just kind of shuffle through the day. Most of it I don't remember. I don't remember the first five years of touring, honestly, except for like incidences. Uh-huh. And there's huge gaps. I, I think the seventh time I went to Europe, I actually remember being there. Like, because I would get, you know, it was just like a blur. Yeah, totally. Um, so once I stopped drinking, that was when that be presented a challenge, which, you know, is a good challenge as opposed to how drunk can I get today? It's like, right. what can I do? So now... You know, I, 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 what I really like to do is I have like a workout bag and I stuff everything I'll need in it for the day. I put my headphones in and I just kind of go and I leave the bus and I'll go anywhere for as long as I can just to see what's out there and stuff. And, you know, I do a lot more of that now, but, and, you know, I do a lot of reading and, um, some of the guys like play video games or whatever you can do, but yeah, it's, it's a fight against boredom more than anything else. Um, cause people do are at their worst typically when they're bored. So trying to stay interested in something enough to fill this time period is tough without the assistance of, you know, yeah. narcotics and alcohol. <laughs> um, and then, so you build up to this moment where you perform and then afterwards, does it, I'm, I'd imagine it's a really huge high that you get. Yeah, you know, this is what then... sucks about it is before we go on, all I want to do is go to sleep because I'm so tired. Uh-huh. Then we go on, and it's actually afterwards. It's actually bedtime, but then my adrenaline is like through the roof for like right. three hours. So it's annoying. I wish I could feel that way after. I wish we could switch it. I'd be amped up before we play <laughs> and tired after. But it's the opposite. But no, I mean, um, it's cool, man. Because you know we've played over I think a thousand shows now. Wow. Which um, doesn't sound like a lot, but you'd have to play a show every day for basically three years to do that. Yeah. And so getting that feeling still from a crowd and stuff and you're playing a song for the thousandth time literally yeah. um at least our early ones <clears throat> and to make it you know the only thing that makes it interesting or anything anymore is the audience and so that reciprocal energy is kind of what keeps you going and stuff like that so it's really cool to be able to get off and be like dude that was awesome after doing it for so long you know so um the fact that we still enjoy it i'm really excited about because i honestly if i stopped enjoying it i think i'd stop doing it because it's it's so trying on other aspects of your life um but i still love it and hopefully one day i won't and i can retire bro <laughs> yeah retire to santa monica yeah you want to live here yeah i want to find where like whitey bulger retired didn't he live down here i don't know you don't know who that is i don't even know who that is that mafia dude who was like on the run forever and he just got found like i guess it was a few, couple of years ago now no you should look it up it's wow. interesting they're making a movie about him right now whitey bulger is it a documentary i think i've seen no a it's a real movie well they made a documentary about him it's on netflix called whitey yeah right? yeah check that out because yeah, totally. he was living right down the street from you for like 30 years and he's like a murderer like he ran a whole mob <laughs> and disappeared that's crazy and then like last year or the year before they finally found him in an apartment right here on 11th street or some crap like that on my street shit i don't know if it was 11 <laughs> that was more of it but i know it was right here but yeah they found him living with his his lady and you know, like a million dollars in cash and all these guns and stuff. And he got away with it. He's like 90 now. But he had been on the run for, yeah, like since the 70s or something or early 80s. That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. (laughs) Um, I've I've heard that you like history and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's much better than the future, I think. Really? Oh, yeah. Things aren't looking good, dude. Things are not looking good, bro. 
we're running out of water. Um, you know, we got all kinds of problems. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, no, I, <laughs> history is fascinating. Yeah. And, um, just the repeated cycles of everything. It really, it's funny because history always resets itself. Like, you know, you get the beginning of a civilization and the end, and then there's another beginning and an end. And we've been doing this for a long time. So it's always interesting because I've always wondered whether we're in the beginning or the end of one. Huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at like the Roman Empire or something, it's very equivalent to what's happening now, mm-hmm. which is frightening because they had this massive buildup and then massive fall. And we're much more capable of the buildup and the fall now. So I'm just, I just get interested in that stuff. And um, yeah, I've always been like a history buff. Yeah. So when you see these like post-apocalyptic movies and they talk about fall, do you, are you like that? Gotta watch I, out for that. Are you, do, are, do you have like a doomsday kit? <laughs> no, oh, dude, I have. I'm not even kidding. I used to buy this shit on Amazon all the time, like earthquake blankets, <laughs> water sticks. I mean, I, I had like a million cans of beans in my garage that I got from Costco. I get, I dude, I get freaked out, and I live right on the ocean too. So like, I know you know the likelihood of a tidal wave in Huntington Beach is probably slim, uh-huh. but I'm prepared. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, no, I get, t- I get scared, man. Um, of the future that didn't start till I had a kid though. I huh. think but uh before I didn't really care all that much. Yeah. You know, if it ended whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> who who really cares that much? Um but once you have a kid, now I'm worried about this other person that I care about a lot more than I ever cared about myself. So right. that's when I started stocking up on doomsday uh stuff <laughs> and bulletproof windows, all of it. No, I'm just going to, I don't have that, but that's someone's my next gonna, investment. Someone's going to snipe you from the ocean. Well, dude, if you got a can of beans and everybody's starving, maybe. Yeah. All right, bro. All right. Don't laugh, bro. Right. I'm, I'm learning here. I'm learning here. No, I'm just playing. But I that is to, all true. I need to shore up this apartment, dude. Yeah, dude, uh, I can help you out. I'll come over and prep it for you. <laughs> we'll go get some supplies at Home Depot. Awesome. It'll be good. You're fronting the bill. Great. <laughs> um, Let's, uh, I just want to talk about songwriting real mm-hmm. quick and just, and your approaches and everything. I mean, you know, cause, cause Hollywood Undead has, seems to have these two things. They have like, so, you have songs where there's so much anger and, and frustration coming out, yeah. but then there's also like a funny song where you like guys are kind of right, just goofing joke. around. Yeah. So when you approach each song, I mean, do you have that always in the back of your mind? Like which way do we go or? No, I mean, I've always, you know, I can't identify with it a type of music for myself because I can't identify myself as a particular, you know, I don't have a particular feeling all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say, you know, you take a band that writes, you know, more you know, on the more depressing side or emotional side of music. I don't always feel that way. I do certainly sometimes, um, but there's other moments in the day and stuff like that. So I always want, you know, as far as music writing goes, I, I'd like to cater to all aspects of what it, you feel throughout a day or a week or a year or whatever. So I don't think it's conscientious, but if we're, you know, in party mode, I'm not going to go in and try and write a song about um, the end of the world or doomsday, (laughs) Um, you know, so it's more about covering all those things. And I really like the fact, one of the things that as from an objective viewpoint that I like about Hollywood Undead is no matter what you're feeling or what you're going through, I think there's something there that, you know what I mean, can heighten that experience, Mm -hmm. which is all music is supposed to do. Um, If you're feeling introspective or if you feel like getting fucked up or whatever um i love the fact that we don't have these limitations on what we can write and what we can do and you know people it take you know people look at it as like oh uh, let's say we're more known for a funny song let's say um it, it I, I think i think people find it shocking when they hear something else you know what i mean so we're not shocking but what the hell type yeah. thing 
And it took a while for people to take it seriously because we would goof off so much. And then we'd say, uh, you know, we'd talk about the government, let's say, or whatever. I mean, that's just a for example. Um, but I don't see any point of like writing music with one hand tied behind my back. I don't, I don't get the purpose behind it. You know, the Beastie Boys are a great example who wrote these, you know, incredibly funny and uh, sarcastic songs. Mm -hmm. But towards, especially towards it, they got extremely political um and they they were taking up issues that were far more serious and um they're a huge example to me of um guy because they're all great right songwriters um and they all took their craft very seriously even if it was if you're right talking about something that isn't necessarily serious um and it's okay to have multiple viewpoints and i don't feel the need to make people cry with every track you know what i mean there's nothing yeah. wrong with making people feel good too now do i want to talk about like you know you take like a beatles song uh you know, talking about sunshine and stuff. Am I ever going to write a song like that? Most likely not. Because um, I've never walked outside and be like, oh, I love this breeze. You know, it's not like, <laughs> not my deal. But I certainly, you know, and to be honest with you, a lot of the songs that we wrote about, write about, you know, quote unquote, partying and stuff. A lot of them are much more dark than they sound. Like a lot of them are about the aftermath or yeah. where alcohol, alcoholism and drugs and those sort of things lead you. Because mm -hmm. I've done both a lot. And they've never led me anywhere good. Yeah. So granted, it may feel good at the time, but I prefer certainly writing from the next day when I wake up in a stranger's house and I don't know how I'm getting home and I don't know where my phone is. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck is going on. Uh, God knows what I did. And, um, you know, there's that, the come down. And I enjoy writing about the come down much more than the high. Huh. Is it, is it like a warning for people or? No, you know, I would never, you know, I don't think, I obviously, uh, you know, I don't think going down that road is a good idea for anybody. Oh, yeah. And I would never promote it as a lifestyle that someone should have. But I wouldn't also, I'm not going to say don't, you know, I would say don't do it, but I'm not going to warn people. I think it's more about uh, sharing the experience itself. And, you know, people are going to interpret that one or the other. People, some people are going to go, I want to feel that. Yeah. And I want to go through that. And some people are going to go, oh, I, that, you know, this is bad. So that's up to them. But I don't, so I certainly don't write things to warn people against doing them. You know, if it makes someone aware that it's probably not the right thing to do, then good. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of young fans, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. And whether we, I want the responsibility of, of being like an opinion leader for these people, uh, it doesn't matter because you are. And, you know, I do take that seriously to some degree. I would never be like, you know, kids don't do this and don't do that. I'm not their parents. But at the same time, I will be very open that um, those roads are, they certainly lead to nowhere good. Yeah. And I've experienced it. So if someone wants to take it that way, good. If not, it's their life and people are going to fuck it up if they want. You know, yeah. there's not much anybody can do about it. Yeah. Um, so you were going off on the label a little oh, earlier. Motherfuckers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and, no, you know, and... honestly, we just were back because we signed with Interscope. And then we got moved to a &M from Interscope. Yeah. And then we moved back to Interscope when a &M went out of business. Um, it's really tough, man. And I Interscope so far has been cool and everything like that. This is our first record actually out on Interscope Day of the Dead, which we came out with earlier this year. Uh -huh. Um, and so far it's been good. Um, but getting a right, you know, record, it's tough, man. And they have a they have a much tougher time themselves. You know, you go to like some of these offices that are like massive. They're like ghost towns because there's no staff. Yeah, because records. They're affected far more than bands by the drop in record sales because bands can still sell merch and go on tour and vice, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of 
labels have try are trying to find ways to make, still make money and stuff. So it's tough on them, and they have to make their choices much more serious. You know, a while ago, dude, they'd sign ten bands a week. Mm -hmm. You throw some money at them, if one of them sticks, they're still making a profit. Yeah. They have to be very selective and very smart about what they're doing because yeah. every band they sign, I think, has to perform because there's not a bunch of extra money or, you know, yeah. no one's selling 10 million records anymore. Totally. So they have to keep that in consideration. So, I mean, it's very easy to look at these guys as the evil empire, but at the same time, um, without them, I wouldn't have the reach or the existence, you know, the, the capabilities that we have as a band. So... I yeah. think it'll always be a love-hate relationship. I think more the people that work in the record industry, from my experience, are like slime balls, you know? And they're your buddies when you're selling records, man. They're your yeah. best friends. And the moment that stops, because you have ups and downs. There's peaks and valleys in any everybody's career. And, and all of a sudden, they're not your buddies. Yeah. And you kind of have to go, especially from a young man's perspective, where you're quite a bit more trusting. I'm certainly more jaded now. I wouldn't go to dinner with any one of these bastards. But back then, you know, you think, man, these guys are really my buddies. And as long as you're selling records, they are. Mm -hmm. But the moment things slow down, you might not be able to get a hold of them anymore. Yeah, so it's, not, it's, that's been my experience. You. Yeah. There's... Well, they're not even going to pick up your fucking phone calls and say, sorry, pal, you're fucked. Yeah. Um, so my experience with them has been largely negative. And so certainly I have, you have to take that knowledge and use that so that you're not fucked over again yeah um so far so good with interscope i don't have any like issue with them but our old label i have massive issues with and you know the thing that sucks is like these people aren't men they're like they're guys that you know they have way better lawyers than you um you can't you know it, it, in a different society if this was the old west you'd shoot them for what <laughs> they're doing to you or you you know what i mean yeah because they're robbing you but you signed a contract, and if you did that, you'd end up in jail, and you could guarantee that they're going to win because they have better lawyers, and they're respected members of their community, and this and that. So they put you in a position where you're really backed into a corner, and there's nothing you can do. And they're at our old label, man, unbelievable. You know, these guys just, they basically rob people, and they're allowed to. In, in what way? Like, what, where, what's, do you, are you able to kind of pinpoint exactly what money they're well, they, taking from you? Like... Well, they get you to sign... Okay. See, this is the problem with it. And this is where they're right legally. Yeah. You sign the contract. Right. But you sign... And, and they do that by blinding you by throwing money at you, right? Yeah. And like, see, like I, can't, I can't say they're quote-unquote doing something against the law or that's wrong. Totally. But it's wrong in principle. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? It, morally, I think it's it's not cool. So you take a kid, they throw money at you. Um, half the time, you know... You know what you're signing, but you don't know what it means in the end, and they certainly do. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying it was always like this, but our particular experience with these particular people left a very bad taste in my mouth. You know, when you go on tour and you generate a million dollars, and you personally come home, okay, we generated a million dollars, what do I get? And they say, oh, you're like six grand. You're like, what? You know, but we made a million dollars. Well, you got to pay this person this, this person that. Why do we have to pay that person that? Well, if you look in this paragraph of the contract, you agreed on this number mm -hmm. or this figure. So all of a sudden, all these people who already have a ton of money are taking the money that you went out on the road and earned. They're not the ones who have to live on a bus and tour and do these things. Right. And it leave you know it makes you uh, it pisses you off, man. Yeah. And so. With, that's also the case now, currently with with Interscope. No, no, we're on a much better deal now. That's right. why you know I have no, uh, I have nothing bad to say now. We'll come back to that on a different interview if I do. <laughs> uh, um, but no, they're cool. But you, you, we had a lot of bad experiences, 
And to be honest with you, this is like the swan song of every band. Yeah. I mean, everybody. There's no band that goes, man. I love my label. Uh-huh. I mean, there. Are, I'm sure there's some, but for the most part, I know a lot of people in bands, and none of them have anything good to say, because <laughs> it's kind of like a, you know, it's like a cell phone company. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, AT and T's better than Sprint, or T-Mobile's better than this. But the bottom line is, they all suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, you get service here, but I don't. They're, they're all gonna suck in some way. Yeah. Um, and you're gonna dicked around in some way, form or another. Um, and that's what labels are in that sense. Yeah. It's a bitch, man. The industry's a, it's, it's a tough thing to get involved in. And, um, I guess it takes the innocence out of music because mm-hmm. it turns it into this. Now, you know, half of my mind when it comes to music is about business and that sucks. Cause I never wanted to think about business. I never wanted to think, I never wanted to spend my day on the phone with my business manager about who's getting paid. What, let me see this spreadsheet. That's not what music is to me. Yeah, you know, but um, you have to understand that and speak that language if you want to survive, and it's unfortunate because, like I said, it takes the innocent. Now, when I'm in the studio, this isn't something on my mind. But as a kid who wanted to write music, that's certainly not what my out, why I set out to do it. Yeah. But it's something you have to be aware of to anybody who's listening who wants to move forward in the music industry. Yeah. Um, unless you want to be one of the bad guys, then just use everything I said against the the bands. Yeah. Well, so you you said that in the studio it's not on your mind, so you're clearly able to separate yourself from that all the bullshit. Yeah, I mean, dude, when you go into a studio, you know, we have like you know, you turn I turn my phone off for the most part, unless yeah. I have riders blocked, then I'll turn it on, yeah. and play like Jenga or something. But for the you know, I when we're there, we're there, and that's the we have goals, and we try and get in that moment, and you know what? That's one of the good things about when you're writing a record. We usually are in a studio for X amount of time. Yeah. And you let as, as many outside incursions as possible be avoided. Right. You know, sometimes, well, I, you know, I write songs on the road a lot. I write a lot of choruses and stuff and just track them um, on my phone or whatever mm-hmm. um, for the studio later. But when you're in the studio, you try and keep anything else, you know, as distant as possible. Yeah. You know. Um, but so what I want to get at is, is you, I feel like that's a unique quality that I'm sure a lot of artists have. Like, I'm sure there's like ridiculously talented, amazing songwriters who write some groundbreaking music, but they just don't have the ability to separate out the bullshit and therefore won't get the exposure. Do you, well, do you agree with that or? Yes. I mean, I think a lot of bands or guys who write music have a lot of ego and in order to succeed, you have to let go of a lot of that ego. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of guys don't want to change their music or do this or do that. I don't need to write a single. Sorry, bro. You do if you want to be successful, you know. So to some degree or another, you have to let go of your terms and because you're on another person's terms. They're investing all the money in it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and just like any other investment, if you wanted to find someone to put money in it, they're going to have a say in what's going on. And so I found that to be the case a lot. Um, but, you know, I've ne- we've never had creative differences with our life. We've never had any issues. Because, awesome. I mean, I think we do what we do really well. Yeah. And, it, you know, and so they're not going to sit there and go, you could do this better or do that better. Um, and they know their opinion isn't welcome anyway. But <laughs> if they said, we don't think the record's there, we're not going to release it as is, you bet your ass we'd have to go back to the studio and write more. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they judge those terms. So it's a compromise on both, uh, you know, for both parties. And, you know, like they say, a good compromise leaves both parties unhappy. Mm-hmm. So 
they're probably not completely satisfied with what we're doing and neither are we satisfied with what they're doing. I, we've never released a record that I was like completely happy with what was on there. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. Yeah. There's always songs that don't get put on there that I want on there. There's always songs on there that I wish no one ever heard. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Yeah. So every record's a compromise from the, this perspective of the band and the label and within the band itself. Because you always have different people in the band who want different things and you know, you, ego is a huge issue for everybody. Yeah. So you have to let some of that go and be able to yeah. say okay to things you don't want and vice versa. Do you, do you think we're ever gonna? Do you think we're ever gonna run out of music with twelve notes? <laughs> no. Well, yeah. I mean, we've already run out. I mean, they're just recycling what's already there. Yeah. But I don't. I, don't, I think people find more and more creative ways to make music. Uh -huh. um, you know, a huge unfortunate aspect of that is like DJs, um, which you know EDM is like huge. Yeah. It's bigger than rock. In certain ways, it's bigger than pop music, um, and that the fact that that's what music is sunk to—that people will pay all this money to go to a guy hit and play on a computer—it's—it's <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs for guys in bands. Yeah, you know. So um, there's unfortunate aspects like that to it, and then you know, you just have to—I mean, we never have trouble. I've never had trouble writing material. So. Um, Granted, you're going to be recycling certain things. You, you know, like you said, there's only twelve keys, twelve notes that you can write from. So you're just trying to be inventive, I <laughs> yeah. guess. And and are you still finding ways to be inventive? Like, are you still like? I'd like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I'm mean, just, like, I'm you a... don't sit down to write and you just go, God, this is getting harder and harder each time because. No, just... you know, honestly, that's how I know when we're done writing a record is it's becoming difficult to make songs. Right. Because you have X amount of experience or these things you're drawing upon. So we were every, you typically write a record every year and a half, two years. So by the time you're done with, okay, that's it. During that year and a half, two years, you accumulate more. <laughs> yeah. And then you have another record. And so I've never had any trouble. And that's kind of from my experience when I know I'm done. But, you know, when you're in a band, life is happening around you um, all the time. And I just try and be perceptive. Because mm -hmm. there's always something to write about. Yeah. Whether it's my experience or someone else. And... I just try and pay attention to to what's going on, and that usually gives me all the material I need. Mm -hmm. um, are there any bands currently right now that you are really into and like hope hope all all for the best for them? You know, like and and you're really digging what they're doing. No. <laughs> wow. No. All no. I'm just. I mean, I don't. <laughs> to be honest with you, I kind of stick to my go-to music. I listen to the same bands I listened to ten years ago. Wow. I don't really. There's. I don't listen to the radio a eh? so i don't really pay attention to new music hmm. um so i don't really yeah i'm not aware it's not that i don't think there's good bands my brother's band they're called secret empire and they they have a record um he's probably and that isn't even biased because he's my brother he's a great artist and stuff and he's he plays everything and he's he's awesome so obviously i wish him the best because he's my brother and i love his music but outside of that i don't know what's going on when i when i go to the when i live a when we're in the studio, I don't listen to music at all because it's you can get a lot of subconscious push from other songs that you're not aware of yeah. that find their way into your songs. And so the only time I really find myself listening to music, I listen like, to be honest with you, like when we're on the road, I listen to a lot of classical because I'm stressed out. So I listen to a lot of like Beethoven or something, you know, and it calms me down. Um, and then I listen to the same rock bands I did. You know, I still listen to the Deftones all the time. Huh. You know, that's what I like. So there's nothing out right now that I'm aware of that I like, but um, I should probably start, you know, paying attention more. Hmm. 
just got enough going on without paying attention to whatever bands are out and stuff yeah. like that. They can, you know, they come and go. I like, you know, because they're like huge, so it's not like who cares, but I like Imagine Dragons, for instance. I think they're a really good band, but so does everybody else. So yeah. it's not like there's anything I'm aware of that the general population isn't. <laughs> I know that uh, Taylor Swift isn't good. I know Imagine <laughs> Dragons is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, don't, you know, I don't like pop music, and that's pretty much all you're going to hear mm-hmm. on the open market yeah. if you don't look, and I don't look. Gotcha. Interesting, because like for me, because I'm obviously not at your the same level as you guys in terms of the film world. Okay. But I feel like I'm constantly having to like, like swim upstream and in, in consuming all these films and stuff that people talk about. So I'm aware and, and able to chat about it. But it seems like you don't really you you do your own in, thing. And... In the music world, that's true. I see. For instance, I love movies. I like watching movies a lot more than I prefer. Well, I like listening to music. Huh. Um, I used to be like a huge. I, movies are another thing I don't do often anymore. Um, because 90% of the time I leave the movie theater, like unhappy with what just happened. Cause most, I mean, all, all that's coming out from what my perspective is, is like, you know, the huge blockbuster thing and to find out about anything else. Once again, I'd have to pay attention and yeah, I just, I don't have the time. Yeah. You know, we travel all the time and stuff, but I took, uh, my kid to see the new Jurassic park, which would, in my, I thought it was a huge waste of time. Yeah, and everybody's, you know, I actually heard it was good. And you know what that movie needs is, uh, you know, the Jeff Gold, the, the cool thing about the first one, and that was the only good one in my opinion, was, you know, he was kind of the anti-hero. He was like a smooth, smart-ass guy. Yeah. I don't like movies where the the hero of the movie is actually like a buff dumbass or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, okay, you know, I imagine it's just like a Marine with dinosaurs. Yeah, I liked him because he was the anti-hero. Uh-huh. And, you know, he was a smart ass. He had his leather jacket, and there was this charm to that, and it just well. It, and also Sam Neill, even yeah, the actual Neill. here, he's he's yeah, you know, some old kind of professor. Yeah, here. exactly, exactly, <laughs> totally right. And um, that aspect of it was really good. And then now it's just you know they got a hot chick and a buff guy, and it, they just went down the road that every other movie. And you know, it's yeah. not relatable to to me. Yeah. And then you know what I couldn't what drove me nuts was the constant. They blocked it so that it clearly they like run into a spot, turn, and you see Starbucks right behind them. Oh yeah, dude, <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, ah, God, like these things don't generate enough money already. Yeah, you know what I mean. But you have to, and I think that's what movies have become as a way to make. You know, they're making massive amounts of money still. Yeah, it has. It certainly hasn't been affected the way music has by mm-hmm. pirating and stream. I mean, yeah. You know, and then another thing is like I don't really. I don't like how movies, going to the movies is probably inaccessible to a lot of people now. Mm-hmm. Um, for the two tickets, I think it was like 35 bucks or something. You know, they're like $18 a ticket. Yeah. And then, you know, you get like crap at the theater. You know, you're talking about 60 bucks, Dude, there's a lot of people who don't earn that in a day. And I don't like the fact that your movies are should be a general distraction for people who like work hard and have like a normal life. And it, to me, it's like taking away that opportunity for a regular Joe to go see a movie yeah who has fucking 20 bucks to spend on a movie? how's a 13 year old kid gonna spend 30 dollars to go to a movie mowing lawns he can't yeah. and that pisses me off same thing with like Ticketmaster and these you know music they're they're they make this sh- these shows so expensive where i'm like dude f- you're thinking about 14 15 year old kids mm-hmm. how are they gonna get 60 bucks to go see a movie unless they're like lucky you know yeah. and i it, it pisses me off and charging 50 bucks for a t-shirt it's like dude 
I don't know. The whole thing about this stuff is it's supposed to be accessible to everybody. And I think it's an elitist type thing now to be able to do it. And I'm like, uh -huh. well, there goes the whole point of entertainment and everything else that comes with it. Cause a bunch of people can't do it now. Yeah. And that pisses me off. It's not fair. Totally. So, and I, they made me see it in 3d cause that was the only show time, which that. pissed me off too. Cause <laughs> it sucks and it, they charge you more to do it. And it gives you a headache. Yeah, yeah. Me, like, I get a headache from those things. The only thing I enjoyed about the whole thing was, like, the crappy food I ate. <laughs> but that was very enjoyable. Which also cost so much. Yeah, which it was like ridiculous popcorn, as well. Popcorn, five bucks. It's corn. Yeah, it's <laughs> corn. But it is what it is. Hey, what can I do, you know? Um, Just kids shouldn't be sitting in movies all the time anyway. I try and take my, you know, dude, let's go to the park and try and be active. Because now, you know, when I grew up, I mean, there was internet, but it wasn't as accessible. There wasn't Xbox and all this stuff. You know, there was Nintendo, and they only some of my friends had it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you kind of, you were forced. We were outside all the time. We were playing, you know, sports and whatever else we could think of, raising hell. And now kids, for the most part, are sitting in their house playing video games all day. And it's a sad state of affairs because I don't think, um, A, you're going to learn any social skills, and you're not physically active, all these other aspects of it. Um, so, you know, go outside. <laughs> <laughs> what a great little message to end on. <laughs> yeah, bro. Get the fuck outside, dude. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, I think it's about time to wrap it up. Uh, cool. you guys, I imagine have shows coming up now. I think you're, yeah, we're leaving next weekend and then we're going to uh, back to Russia and, uh, Hungary and then we're doing a big U S run. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll be back in this area too, playing here and. Yeah, dude, another round. Of, we're on tour till the end of next summer, mm -hmm. basically. So yeah, how can people follow you guys and, and uh, learn about shows and stuff? So HollywoodUndead.com. Mm -hmm. I don't know, dude. <laughs> um, Instagram, Instagram, Twitter. I'm sure. Sure, what? I mean, they they know better than I do. Yeah. You know, I use my phone for like two things, like porn and um, directions. So, <laughs> Fuck phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, those I ignore because they're interrupting the porn. No, I'm just <laughs> no, I mean, uh, people know how to do that stuff. Instagram, you know, yeah, HollywoodDead.com, tickets and all that stuff. And, uh, well, I guess all that's left is the, is the sign-off. Hey, you're listening to Sidekickback Radio. Watch out! <laughs> Was that all right? Was that a good watch out? This is a great witch, huh? Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. I was shot.